In today's episode, Stephen Sachs shares with us how he went from a mega successful fashion brand to a furniture brand that was falling apart one piece at a time and the major lesson that he learned to correct it all. Are you hitting a wall in your business because you feel like you're too busy? Do you ever wish there were more hours in a day? This podcast is for hyper-focused entrepreneurs who want to learn the secrets of superhuman productivity. Together, we're going to kick procrastination in the teeth. We're going to slice through BS excuses like a katana blade. We don't ever wonder what happened because we're the ones that made it happen. My name is Josh Thomas. You've now entered the do zone. Welcome to the DZ Tribe. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Arthur Ashe. DZ Tribe Josh Thomas, if you haven't already, check out thedozone.com for productivity tips, accountability, and just a bunch of great human beings looking to get more stuff done. Once again, that's thedozone.com. Also, you know, we'd really appreciate it if you could uh, give us a uh, five-star rating, give us a review, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. So we're going to talk today with our guest, Stephen Sachs. Stephen has worked for 30 years in the fashion industry and created a brand as be- that was being sold in over 30 countries, generating 30 million pounds a year in revenue before getting acquired. Wow. His furniture business racked up millions of pounds of debt, and he had no idea how to dig his way out. Wanting to save others from experiencing what he went through, he founded Funding Nav that helps business owners who have more ambition than cash. And to date, they have provided in excess of 100 million pounds for hundreds of businesses. That's amazing. I'm so happy to have you here. Stephen, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. <clears throat> Thanks, Josh. Um, what's up to the tribe? Um, actually, whether most people think of it or not, I think that maybe it's not a priority. But yesterday was my birthday and I was 57 years old. And uh, for a birthday challenge, I challenged my PT. Rather than him training me, I would train him. And uh, he's 25 years of age. So I basically I put together this real, uh, re- really, really tough workout. And at the end of it, he admitted that now I'm fitter than him. Um, and that's largely because I do large amounts of cycling and I'm playing tennis as well as doing the stuff in the gym with him. And honestly, I think that the key to getting stuff done is uh, to maintain a really high level of fitness. Maintain a really high level of fitness. I, Physical I fitness. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's been it's been said before that uh, when you see somebody that is in really great shape, they're very fit. That's not something you can buy. That's not something you can cut corners and achieve. That's not something that you can. I mean, I guess you can go and pay for a bunch of surgeries or whatever. But for the most part, when you see somebody that's very well formed and they're in good shape and they're the lean and they're strong. It's because they did the work. Uh, that's correct. So I, I've got some rules, uh, which I apply to my life, which on the face of it look like they're unproductive, but in reality, they're super productive. One of them is, um, and, and maybe this is easier for me in the United Kingdom than it is for you in the United States. 
basically, um, I don't use a car. Uh, I use a bicycle. And I've got a rule. I have to cycle at least 100 miles every week. So if I go to business meetings, I go on my bicycle. Um, and sometimes I go 30 miles to a business meeting and 30 miles back. So that's 60 miles all the way around. Um, whilst on the face of it, that would seem a bit stupid and a stu like a stupid use of time. In reality, I'm saving time um, by not going to the gym. I'm boosting my, uh, my my thinking ability. I'm, I'm kind of like blasting myself with oxygen. When I do arrive, I'm kind of like really uh, buzzing. Um, so uh, I, I just feel that that's kind of um, just a, a massive key. And now with technology, I can use the phone on the bike if I want to. I've got a helmet with Bluetooth. Well, I generally, I don't do that. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that uh, you know massive fitness not just you know muscles in the gym but also cardiovascular fitness and cycling in my opinion is a great way of achieving that and you know not using a car but using a bicycle is um i think a really really great tip if if you can do that yeah you know and and kind of one layer deeper than that the idea of being physically fit and that being a, a kind of key to getting more things done and being more productive is first and foremost, uh, the, the fact that you put in the work, you can put in the work for other things that are non-physical. And then second, the secondary benefit is if your body is functioning properly, it allows you to be more effective and more efficient at all of the other things that you're doing. You said, you know, oxygen's flowing, I'm buzzing with ideas. Uh, so it's a, that's a pretty unique answer. I, I, I like it. And so, and for those of you who uh, have not seen Steven, this is an audio podcast, but uh, did you say you were 57? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't look anywhere near <laughs> the uh, ability to be my, my dad, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's amazing, man. Like uh, yeah, definitely yeah. don't look anything 57. How old are you, Josh? 42. So you would have been a young dad. A young dad, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, and so, I'm curious, though. You know, one of the one of the things that uh, you really like talking about is growing businesses, sure. investing in businesses, and so you had one giant success, and you had one giant flop. Sure. And I'm curious to to hear a little bit of the in between. Like, what were the keys to the success of your fashion company? And what were the keys to the flop of your furniture company? <clears throat> well, the fashion company um, was constantly evolving. Um, so, uh, you know, it was over a 30-year period at the beginning. Um, you know, we, we were manufacturing uh, items in the UK. Gradually, we switched to offshoring. Um, you know, in South Asia and the Far East. Over time, we developed our own brands. We we, we also were selling uh, larger volumes of stuff. And as retail changed and became um, much more multiple orientated, we, we picked up loads of um, international business uh, for, for large stores, which kind of didn't really exist when I started. And then ultimately, of course, there came the internet. Um, and that was another great opportunity. So, you know, we were, we managed to stay abreast of all of the changes that were happening, the rapid changes that were happening, probably five or six step changes during that 30-year period. And with furniture, 
um, there was a huge change that happened here in the UK, which I'm sure you, you all know about there in the United States, where it had two major, major negative impacts on our business. And we just happened to be on the wrong side of both of those. And the, um, the issue was um, this vote around Brexit, <coughs> when the United Kingdom voted to leave uh, the European Union, um, literally instantaneously in June of 2016, um, two things happened. The first thing that happened was that um, the value of the pound, um, our currency, uh, deteriorated against the US dollar. And most of the products we were buying were uh, US dollar. We weren't, we weren't buying in the United States, but the rest of the world uses dollars as a, as a reserve currency, including China. Um, so suddenly our products got a lot more expensive. So it, that was inflationary. And then the other thing that happened was that um, consumer confidence got knocked. And as a consequence, our cost of acquisition of new customers also went through the roof because we were selling direct to consumer. So on the one hand, I don't know, we, we had a 20% increase in um, the price of our products to us. And on the other hand, we had a 20% increase in the cost of acquisition. And those both those things meant we literally went from... Um, making sort of cash returns on a weekly basis to losing money on a weekly basis. And it just became unsustainable. I got into a negative spiral really, really quickly. And then the whole thing just sort of collapsed around me. And it was just a huge learning experience. Wow. Yeah. And I'm curious, though, I mean, if if Brexit was like kind of the immediate hammer that shattered the uh, the the integrity of this uh, structure uh, what was the lesson to learn like don't do business in the uk or <laughs> what was the ultimate lesson you learned from that yeah i think that um what whilst i'm not saying don't do business in the uk um i, I think that probably the lesson that you can learn from that is around diversification as i mentioned the success of the fashion business was largely around diversification. So we weren't just doing business in the UK. Our, our product sourcing was all over the world and our markets were all over the world too. And we were involved in lots and lots of different uh, product areas. But when we got into this furniture um, business, um, we, we still had diversified supply, but our, our, our route to market was kind of a, a bit, um, a bit one-sided. It was basically direct to consumer. We were using uh, press advertising and online. Um, and yeah, when when something just stops working and you don't have any other way through it, mm. um, and your back's against the wall, it's really difficult to maneuver out of that. So yeah, I think that the lesson to be learned there is you got to keep diversifying and changing, even when there's no immediacy, immediate requirement to do that. So that you know, when things do get difficult, then um, you've got other other ways to go. I'm wondering how many times uh, somebody listening to this podcast episode has run into a situation like that, where a uh, a, a third party that was completely independent of you, you had zero control over, made some decision that negatively impacts your business, and you're left holding the bag, you know. And I'm and I'm curious if we could roll back the clock and go back to that moment. You couldn't stop Brexit from being voted for. You're still holding the same bag. If you had the chance to do that again, what different decisions would you make in those situations that maybe could have pulled you out of that differently? 
you know, it's funny um, that you, we're seeing it now here. I don't know whether you're finding it there in the United States that um, online only businesses are struggling for profitability. Um, and that, that you know, that there was a huge push to move, uh, to, you know, to close stores, to go online. Um, you know, stores were a thing of the past and online was the way forward. Now, um, you know, even the biggest businesses here online, you know, businesses like ASOS, for example, a fashion business and Boohoo are majorly struggling. And the retail businesses that, doing, that are doing the best are the ones that have a diversified structure of sales. I guess they call it omni-channel. So the ones that have, you know, a few experiential stores, maybe some online, maybe some other uh, partnerships. So I think that, um, yeah, to have some kind of diversified sales channels earlier on would, would have been a great lesson to learn rather than just go gung-ho just for one thing and then find you know that you 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 bet you bet the wrong horse yeah it's the it that that theme seems to be recurring here in your message about well i think if i had it to do over again i would have diversified this and and yeah. that could have saved it and that's that's a really interesting point uh because I did notice that, you know, at one point we were trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do with shopping malls? Because mm. they're obviously going to be deserted in 10 years. Mm. Uh, you know, do we convert them into like homeless shelters? Do we turn them uh, one mall here in Austin and they turned into a community college? Uh, you know, but what I've kind of noticed is that experiential store, um, Samsung and Apple both rent a large amount of space and there's an electronics chain here called Best Buy and they rent a lot of space in there and they sell a lot of gear in there I'm sure but part of it is you can walk into the store and you can touch this stuff you can mm. see it and there's there's kind of a synergy there like maybe you don't buy it there but maybe you buy something else that Best Buy is offering uh and and I can see I can certainly see that with with Amazon being the great big giant I I refused to order anything on Amazon for years because I didn't want to buy something I couldn't touch. Like I didn't have that confidence, you know. Mm -hmm. I've kind of got over it a little bit, uh but the fact that it's all untouchable, I'm kind of like, you know, it kind of stresses me out. I'd rather just go to a store, pick it up, like is this the thing I want? Yes. Okay, I'll buy it. No, I'll go to the next place. Especially with furniture, you know, I want to feel that. I want to sit on it. You know, how does how does it how does it cup my cup my bum? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this stuff's important. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, 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 you're completely correct. I think that um, that's the way forward. You know, um, a mix of you know, people don't people generally don't buy stuff. Unless you're desperate for something or you're very confident in it, you generally don't buy stuff the first time that you see it. You know, it requires a number of touches. They say sort of seven, eight or nine times, you know, you, you need to kind of see something, hear something, see something. And eventually it starts to permeate. And then you think, yeah, yeah, I I, 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 I want that or I need that. I want that. I, I feel confident enough to get that. So it's really tough to do that um, online. Um, and much easier when you've got a myriad of different approaches 
um, that you can start to sort of hit consumers and build their confidence up. And yeah, um, we have Samsung uh, store here too, and we've got Apple stores here. And um, I completely agree. I think they do a phenomenal job. Yeah, man. So, man, you're you're a fascinating guy. You've been through a lot of stuff. Uh, I'd love to get into, I know you've written some books. I know you started a new business lately. And I want to talk about that. But before we do that, uh, just I have to compliment that that uh, re- that really shiny cranium that you have there. And I, I want to crack it open, see how your brain works, get into the do zone diagnostic. How you feel? That sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just quick, uh, five quick rapid fire questions. Uh, just the first thing that comes to mind here, uh, Stephen, what is one thing you do that keeps you focused on your goals? Um, the one thing I do that keeps me focused on my goals is I, I, I literally achieve my goals. I mean, I mentioned earlier, for example, I've got a goal that I have to cycle 100 miles in a week where I can, and that week finishes on Sunday night. And I can tell you on Sunday this week, we, we got home and, uh, I don't been out and I'd only done 91 miles. So I said to my wife, I need to go out. She said, what are you, what are you doing? I said, well, I've got to go out and do 10 miles. You don't understand. I literally have to do it. So I, I have a, a manic obsession with completing those goals. I literally don't not complete goals. So yeah, obsession, I guess. <laughs> I like it. And uh, how do you get back on track uh, when you lose that focus? I, I think that, um, and, and I know this is this is a really crap answer, but I I, I don't really lose the focus. Even if I go on vacation, I don't lose the focus. And in fact, maybe the issue is that I I find it too difficult to lose the focus. And I'm always focused. Um, and maybe, maybe that's a kind of bad thing. Maybe I could burn out doing that. But I'm 57. I haven't burnt out yet. Um, and I kind of don't. And I kind of love. And I kind of love what I do. And I think that maybe that's another big part of it. Um, you know, for example, my ambition is to die at my desk and not, not retire. Um, so I think that, you know, if you love what you do and you, you know, you just, you just remain focused on it. It's like your life. Yeah. Well said. And, uh, who is your support group, Stephen, and how do they keep you accountable? Well, I pay, um, some trainers. Um, so I mentioned the guy in the gym, I pay him, um, got tennis trainer, pay him. I've got, um, a, uh, my, my executive assistant, uh, she's um, she holds me accountable, and of course, my wife and family. I've got four daughters and um, a wife, and then um, I'm having to account to them all the time. So yeah, I, you know, I've got I've got the, the 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 external support network who are on the payroll, and then you know the internal support pay the internal support network who um, have have you know social expectation. Yeah, understood. And uh, so, Stephen. How do you approach a difficult project where you're not sure how to complete it? Um, you know, it's like eating an elephant, isn't it? You, you can you can only chunk it down one piece at a time. Uh, you know, and I would say that um, you know sometimes when things seem overwhelming, you know, start to do it one piece at a time. We, we just bought a business actually in um, property. And it it was quite 
big challenge, but you know, we gradually did it over a two or three month period of understanding each part, negotiating, understanding the next part, negotiating, doing the due diligence. And in the end, you, you get to a position where you, you've done the work. So yeah, it's slowly. Got it. Yeah, I, I agree Definitely. on that. Yeah. And the last question for you on this, Stephen, what's the number one pro tip you'd give to someone looking to get more stuff done in less time? Prioritize. Cool. Um, yeah, prioritize. Yeah, don't. Um, so my, my wife struggles with this. She has this thing where she she doesn't really understand the difference between um, urgency and importance. So, you know, things that are important are all urgent, but of course they're not. Just because it's important doesn't mean it's urgent. You've got stuff which is unimportant, which is actually quite urgent. Um, so, you know, she says, oh, I need to do this now. And I, I was saying, no, no, I'm not going to do that now. I'll do that next week, you know, and, and I schedule it and I get it all done. And uh, yeah, I, th I, th I think prioritize. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have actually heard that distinction between something that is urgent and something that is important. And they are not necessarily connected all of the time. Sometimes they are, but not always. You know, mm -hmm. if your neck is bleeding, that is urgent and that is also important, right? Uh, you know, there are, there are things that really need to be done right now, but maybe not necessarily important. And there are things that are very important for you to get done that maybe don't need to get done right now. So yeah, yeah. I certainly agree with so that. So true. It, and so I, I'm, I'm curious to hear about fuck up nights. <laughs> it's sure. an interesting name for a business. Tell me more. <laughs> okay. So, um, in doing what I'm doing at the moment, um, it's important for me, firstly, to create a brand for me personally. And it's really difficult to find a point of difference in, um, in the whole area of success because everybody talks about success, right? Um, we're talking about it now. Um, Mostly, not not entirely. I know we spoke about the furniture business um, for a little while, but all of the learning, or sorry, most of the learning, um, and most of the entertainment is in failure. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, like business films, like um, Wolf of Wall Street, for example, is a great study in failure. And as such, it's super entertaining. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I think most people would rather watch that film than watch a film that was kind of like, um, you know, how Bill Gates built Microsoft or how Jeff Bezos built Amazon. That's great. And, and you know, and, and just because we see that, just because we see that, you know, how Jeff brilliantly built Amazon or, um, you know, Bill brilliant, brilliantly decided that he was going to get his software into every computer so what you know you know what, where's, where, the where's the learning in that where's, yeah, where's the, the learning conflict? in that and yeah, where's the entertainment in that where's whereas the, the ex-wife that betrayed him you know <laughs> yeah but when you see how um you know somebody really fucked up and they're prepared to share that with you and talk to you about it i just think that that's like wow 
it's really entertaining. It's a real point of difference. And the learning is enormous. So we're running um, nights. We're starting in October um, over here where we're getting people up on stage who, who are going to kind of free themselves of the um, – weight on their shoulders which is this this story you know in in business in like in life you know most of us carry around like an armor of lies and we say yeah yeah this is great and that's great but in reality you know not everything's great and it's it's sometimes really liberating to admit that and say it's not great i fucked up this went wrong but i'm, I'm gonna come back i'm gonna come back in a different way people go yeah that's great and in fact i, I must tell you that um as an english person for me, this is a bit of a revelation. As an American, I think maybe less so. I think that um, we one of the reasons we mess up a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th I think I think that I think uh, I, I don't think you mess up any more than anyone else. But I think you're much more forgiving of the mess ups. And I think that the attitude, for example, of Silicon Valley investors, which is that um, often they won't back um, entrepreneurs that haven't messed up because they don't want the first mess up to be on their payroll. <laughs> is is inspired whereas over here if you've messed up or you admit you've messed up then they go oh well you've got a poor track record you know we, we, we won't back you it's kind of like well hang on a minute uh you know everyone messes up so i think that um one of the reasons why the united states does have the biggest most robust economy in the world is that they have a much more um healthy attitude towards failure hmm. i really believe that you know, I you're 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 speaking my language right now because I uh, uh, six or seven years ago I started a podcast called How to Lose Money. I oh, really that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, we did two hundred and thirty eight episodes. Uh, yeah, for over four year period, and yeah. and it was exactly that same idea of you know everybody's talking about how they win. Yeah. Let's talk about that lesson that you learned from the time you didn't win. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I, I really think I really think you're on to something there because it is liberating to have somebody just come up and say, Well, I thought I had it all figured out, and then I messed this one thing up. I missed this, you know, one line item in this one document, and it cost me two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, man. You know, but being able there's there's two things that happen there. Number one, the person that's telling that story can I think you called it earlier the armor of lies, which yeah. I, I I love that idea that we just we shield ourselves by making making kind of half truths about who we really are, and yeah. we all do. We're all guilty of it, no matter how you know centered and focused we are or anything. Uh, and then the second thing that happens is. Somebody who hears that message is going to say, oh, I was going to do that. So now I'm not going to do that. And mm -hmm. so you just made the world a little bit of a better place because yeah. you put them in a position to to be an educator, a leader, a teacher. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And I think that um, there are just some great stories out there. You just you just need to find people at the point that they're ready where they've accepted it and they're ready to let go of it because most people are not at that point. Mm. Um, and for me as an investor and somebody who's interested in um, finding entrepreneurs that are kind of ready to go, it, it's for me, it, it's, it's about positioning myself in a room physically 
with people who are in that situation who kind of think, yeah, you know what? I'm, I, I am, I'm truthful. I'm straightforward. Yeah. I fucked up, but I, I'm ready to go again. And and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm really kind of, I'm, I'm just full of that, you know? So I just feel that, um, that's going to give me an advantage over other investors who are kind of looking at, um, just looking at success too much. Yeah. And so tell me, you've written a couple of books. I want to uh, hear about those. What were the, what were the inspiration for those books and and what's the the main material? So the first book was called Reboot Your Business. Um, I wrote that in 2018 and it's essentially a handbook that explains, um, initially through storytelling through things that have happened to me um how business works and has worked for me um and specifically then how to go and get money because that's what people need when they start a business and then some sort of tips some sort of easy fixes where you can make small incremental improvements to your business so that's reboot your business and then the second book uh, called the intelligent investors handbook i wrote um last year and that's a business from the perspective of uh of an investor so how somebody who's looking to deploy capital in a sme so small business uh can basically save from making mistakes and losing money because that's what most people do when they invest in, in business at that stage um and it's just some tips uh, of how you can achieve that and achieve a decent return for yourself. Nice. So reboot your business and the intelligent investors handbook. And and where can we get a copy of this? Well, there's the, uh, the online store you don't like to shop at Josh. <laughs> I've, I've made my piece. I've made my piece with it. It's fine. It was actually, it's funny. Uh, I, I just bought a house back in March and there was not for about a month, there was not a single day that went by that the Amazon guy didn't come. I'm like, it was like <laughs> Pavlovian, man. Like, you know, like I got the little ding on my phone, I'm like, yay. And then and then one day they he didn't come, you know, and I'm like, oh it's <laughs> <was> so sad. <laughs> so you can get uh reboot your business and the intelligent investors handbook by Stephen Sachs. You can find those on Amazon. And, uh, and Stephen, uh, who would be the ideal person to engage with you? Uh, and how would they find you? So um, we're basically engaging with uh, entrepreneurs that are short of money. So if so you're running everyone, <laughs> yeah. if you're you'd be surprised actually um well no actually everyone because if, if the entrepreneurs that do have money we're engaging with them as well as in as potential investors so right. yeah in, entrepreneurs that uh, are short of money uh then we've got a uh kind of uh strategy with kind of five points we advise and consult on funding strategies we offer access to free sources of capital which includes things like tax credits and grant funding help businesses to raise debt largely venture debt nowadays, um, rather than asset-based lending, help businesses to raise capital through the sale of shares to angels, high net worth, VCs, and family offices. And we're heavily involved with mergers and acquisitions. Um, so yeah, on the one hand, uh, we're interested in uh, entrepreneurs that are either scaling up, doing a turnaround, uh, or require 
a large amount of cash for an acquisition, for example, so for, for something or the other. And on the other hand, we're engaging with um, people that have made money and are interested in investing in the uh, sort of small business environment. Okay. Awesome. And and where can they go to connect with you? Uh, well, they can probably, they can uh, find me online uh, or, or they, you know, um, maybe on LinkedIn, uh, Stephen Sachs, um, th- through reading my books or through the Funding Nav website, which is at fundingnav.com. Okay, great. Awesome. So uh, that's, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on here. It was it was amazing to hear kind of the dichotomy between a wildly successful business and one that that ended up going kind of down the tube because of outside forces and and the amazing lessons that you learned in the middle of that. So I've really enjoyed this, Stephen. Um, thank you so much for being on here and for uh, for being my guest on this episode, uh, guys. If you're uh, a an entrepreneur and you're looking to find some ways to uh, flush your business with capital, I recommend that you grab a copy of uh, one of Stephen's books, Reboot Your Business, or The Intelligent Investor's Handbook, available on Amazon. And you can also go to fundingnav.com to learn more about how to get funding for your business. We're going to wrap up from here. Uh, if you are a busy entrepreneur looking to get to the next level, head over to thedozone.com for productivity tips, tools, and strategies. Also, we'd love it if you could leave a review and uh, subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? I have a job for you. Open up your phone or get out a piece of paper and write down these three questions. Number one, what is one important task I can get completely done today? Number two, when can I start it? And number three, what impact will that have on my life? Now answer these questions as best you can every single day this week. Then commit to taking action daily. Now you're in the do zone, baby. Let's go. Need some help with accountability? Are you stuck where you're at and not sure how to break through the barrier in front of you? Join the DZ tribe for free by visiting thedozone.com. We're a group of hyperactive entrepreneurs who want to help you get more stuff done. Oh, one more thing. If you know somebody who needs to hear this message, share it with them. Text them, email them, send them a DM on social media, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever. Be sure to tag us at The Do Zone. Also, keep the five-star written reviews coming over on iTunes. That helps new people find the show, hear it, and get themselves into The Do Zone as well. And always remember, the road to success is paved with imperfect action. So what are you waiting for? (laughs) Go do something already. See you next time.